Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Hey, thanks, Margaret. Yeah, he's risen. I don't know where that indeed part came from, but I guess that's what we say, right? I was just talking with Nicole out front. It's like the angel said to, uh, you know, make sure they say he's risen indeed afterwards, okay? Go tell Peter and then throw the indeed part in. But it's great for you to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have your app, uh, we're going to read the story and then we'll talk a little bit about it. My name is Brad. Nice to see you. Uh, it's Mark uh, 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who was going to roll the stone away from the entrance? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in white, a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's one of those sudden endings, right? You read the whole Gospel of Mark, you get there, and you expect more to the story. Uh, other writers, they'll go on, and, and John will talk about, in a couple of the days, Jesus was cooking fish on the, on the seaside for Peter, and they had a conversation. Matthew goes on and talks about how, uh, you know, the Great Commission was there. Luke has a little bit more to the story, but Mark... Mark ends it at that moment. There's nothing else there. Now, scholars will debate, and we're not going to get into that today. That's, this isn't the time. Scholars debate whether there's more or not. Uh, your Bible might have a little parentheses there that they're, they're not sure if there's more. But what we do know this is that Mark was a very efficient writer. He got right to the point. He didn't mince words. He didn't waste words. And so he says, he's not here. He's written. He's risen. Close the book. End of story. That's all we need to know. The point has been made. Just like he said he would do, Mark said. Just like Jesus said he would do, he has risen from the grave. Mark focuses instead on all the details. He focuses on these three women that were walking to the tomb and what they experienced that morning. Their story of what happened to them on Easter is where you and I can find our story too. We don't need to get lost up in the semantics. We don't need to get lost up in what's there and what's not. We can find ourselves in Scripture. And that's the amazing part of the Bible. You can find where, wherever where the, where you can find yourself, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, Scriptures hold a mirror to you, and you can find your story within God's. For these women that night, or those past couple days, had been a rough one. They'd seen a lot. They've experienced even more. They've thought about everything over and over and over again. You, how many of you have been through this, the shame cycle? Have you been there? You've said something, you've done something, you have the regret, you're embarrassed, and then it repeats over and over and over again. Do you know what puts you there? Was it a, 
uh, the conversation you had with that one person that didn't go as well as you thought it was going to go, and now you keep replaying it. Or the presentation that you thought you nailed, only to walk out and your boss go, eh, maybe not. Or it was that, the way you treated the checker at the grocery store, maybe not too kind. Or, or the, uh, how you talked to your kid that one time that brought back the memories, then you said you would never talk to your kid that way, and now you're like, man, I did it. And then you have shame and regret, embarrassment, and the cycle starts repeating over and over again. This is where those women were, I believe. Mark seemed to make special note of where they were. Mark, Mark in, the first, in the previous chapter, will say that these women, in, ver, in chapter 15, verse 40, were watching from a distance. He says, among them, at Jesus' crucifixion, watching from a distance, among them were Mary, Mary, and Salome. All of them present at the crucifixion, but all of them hiding away, and he's very sure to say, from a distance. It wasn't always from a distance that they followed, and they weren't the only ones who were distant that night. The disciples had deserted them. Peter had denied Christ three times, almost to Jesus' face. Judas had betrayed. It wasn't uncommon. Or was, they weren't the only ones that had distanced themselves from Jesus that night. But they hadn't always followed at a distance. Mark makes sure that we know about it in, in verse 41 of chapter 15. says that these women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So there were a lot of women around and they were following closely. But at that moment, they were distant. Now Jesus, unlike any other of the uh, leaders in that day, invited women into his inner circle. He used them for ministry. He empowered them. He gave them important roles. However, for whatever reason, we don't know why, they weren't close to him when everything started to go down on the cross. Maybe that's what sent them into the shame cycle. The fact that he had done so much for them, yet they were so helpless for him. In the moment of his greatest need, they were gone. They were at a distance. And hopeless and helpless, they sat and watched. They watched as he was beaten. They watched as he was spat on. They watched as they pressed thorns onto his scalp, as they mocked him as they gave him vinegar to drink. They heard Jesus' cries and could do nothing for the comfort. Imagine his mom hearing her son cry. She can't do anything about it. They watched as they took his body down from the cross. They watched as they put him into the tomb and rolled the huge stone in front of it and then put the guard around it so no one can get in. And it's significant to note their position. Only Mark notes it, but it's significant that we take notice of it. They're distant. But in the early hours on that third day, on that Sunday morning, their position begins to change. We don't know what time it was. We do know, we get a clue from uh, Mark 15, 2, that it was sunrise and they were well on their way. It says very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So we get this idea that they had been working on something for some time, and now that the Sabbath is over, they can start moving. Sunrise, and they were on their way, which probably means this. They were up all night. They couldn't sleep. Would, would you be able to sleep? How many of you, when you're in the grief cycle or when you're in that regret cycle, you wake up between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m., right? That seems to be the time. 
You wake up, you don't know why, your brain is running at a million miles an hour, you're replaying everything, and that sound of the voices going back and forth in your head is not the best lullaby to put you back to sleep. And they're probably replaying all of it. And so, in one of those moments where this is the least we can do, they got up and said, let's take spices to the tomb, we've been distant for too long. You see, watching something at a distance is the worst way to watch anything. In some situations, like these past two years, we've had to keep a distance from people, right? Six feet. And that's fine, but however, keeping distance from people, especially Jesus, is never healthy for you. The problem is at a distance, you don't really see what's happening. You don't see what's going on, and all you can do is guess. I went to college in in San Diego, and one of my favorite things to do down there, my buddies and I, would buy cheap tickets to the Padres game, which was very easy to do because the Padres were terrible. And so all they had were cheap tickets. And so we'd buy $5 tickets from the guy out in the parking lot, and we'd walk in, we'd park, and, and we'd walk down, and we'd find the cheapest seats where you needed an oxygen tank and the best binoculars you can ever have in order to watch the game. It was great. Uh, we'd sit up there and argue with the umpire. However, we were so far away that if we were any further, we would probably be in Mexico. That's how far away from the game we were. But we'd watch the game and we'd have a great time. Uh, we'd climb the stairs and then when the, we'd sit up at the top deck, and this was before they tore down, this was the old Jack Murphy Stadium, we'd yell at the umpire that he missed a call. How the heck can we tell he missed the call? That was a strike, ump. We can see it from here, 500 feet away. We'd watch the game from a distance. But we were there. It was like watching little miniature people run around. By the time the ball was hit and caught and the player was running in, we'd hear the sound of the bat. That's how far away we were. But we were there. It didn't stop us from doing what we did. We, we were totally safe. We were at a distance. We were watching the game. We followed it. We were just close enough to convince ourselves that we were on the field, but we weren't really close at all. We can sort of understand that we were at a baseball game when we tried hard enough and when the binoculars were in my hands. The reality was we had no clue what was happening. We could barely make out the numbers of the jerseys. The distance uh, seemed to distort our reality, and we couldn't see what was going on. These women followed Jesus closely during Jesus' ministry, but now they find themselves at a distance, following Jesus from far away. They didn't know what was going on. They were kept away by themselves. And here, on that Easter morning, they're closing the gap. They're tired of following at a distance. Jesus was much better close up than he was far away. When you're close to Jesus, you can see the love in his eyes. When you're close to Jesus, you can heal. You can hear the healing in his words. When you're close to Jesus, there's comfort in his touch. At a distance, you think you see it. At a distance, it's like arguing balls and strikes from the bleachers. You have no clue what's going on at a distance. But close to Jesus, and you experience it. The women came close to Jesus again. And in many ways, we, they set an example for us because many of us have followed Jesus from a distance. And over the past years, the distance has gotten greater and greater. And we're far away. Perhaps you followed Jesus closely at one time, and now you find yourself missing the closeness of Jesus' touch. Perhaps you find yourself 
missing the tenderness that he has in his words. Perhaps you miss the comfort. But something happened, and it pushed you away. Something moved you back. Maybe you were hurt by something or someone. Maybe something happened. A pandemic shook up every aspect of your life, and as you find yourself now, you realize you're pretty far away from what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. We see this encouragement here with these three women. Don't stay at a distance. You're missing so much when you're far away. Like these women that Sunday morning, they closed the gap, and the first thing they did to close the gap was they took the first step, and that's all we need to do as well. Close the gap. It starts by taking one step. Close the distance. But let's be honest with each other. Closing the distance is not an easy choice to do, especially when you've been distant for so long. Sometimes it might be embarrassing. Sometimes, and and I get it, in order to come close means that you have to deal with some obstacles that might be in your way. These women dealt with the same things. They left in such a hurry that morning that logistics weren't really going through their brains. They hadn't slept in a while. And they're halfway there and they ask each other, hey, what about that stone? Who's going to roll that away for us? Oh, yeah, the stone. It's like when you have your tickets to the ball game, but you, or you think you have them, you thought they grabbed them, and they thought you grabbed them, and you're walking halfway across the parking lot, and you say, did you grab the tickets? Oh, I thought you grabbed the tickets. You start thinking logistics and it doesn't really work out. These women are like, hey, who's going to move the stone? You know, the one that they used to seal the, yeah, who's going to move it? I don't know. But they kept walking. What were they going to do about it? Well, maybe the guards will move it for them. After all, they, were, they weren't the body-stealing types. They were, just, they were there to do their job. They were just going to be in there for a few minutes. That's all they needed. But did you notice they thought about the obstacle that was keeping them away from Jesus And they didn't let that obstacle stop them. Who's going to roll the stone? Don't know. Let's keep walking. And they did that. Obstacles that we face in our lives have two outcomes. Either they'll stop you in your tracks, or they'll make you make new tracks, better ones. The Marys and Salami were not going to be uh, kept away by the obstacles. They were not going to be kept at a distance for too much longer. So they kept walking, and they had to. This is the part where I wish the Bible or I wish the the tomb would have a ring camera inside of it because they walk there and I wish you could see the reactions on their face when they look up and they see the stone is missing. The stone's gone. The thing that weighed two tons has been rolled away. I wish you could see the shock on their eyes. And then they walk in the tomb. They looked up. They saw the stone, which was very large had been rolled away, verse 5, and they entered the tomb and they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, this is an angel, in case you were wondering, on the right side, and they were alarmed. And I don't know why you wouldn't be alarmed. You were going expecting one thing, and what you find is the exact opposite, and it's normal to be fearful in that situation. But imagine the questions that started going through their brains. Did someone steal the body? Did, Did they move him to a different place? Were we lost? Is this the right address? Is this the right tomb? Uh, Maybe we lost him again. But did you notice that when they looked up, they saw that the the obstacle had gone away, heads down while they're walking, and then thinking of everything they've done wrong, thinking at the stuff that was keeping them far away, thinking about how Jesus would have been so upset with them, thinking of how things could have been different if they would have acted differently. 
wondering how they were going to get past the stone, and all they had to do was look up, and they would have seen that the obstacle that was keeping them far away was actually already removed. God had done that for them, and all they needed to do was notice. When we would sneak into these games, we would go, we'd sit way far up in the game, in the, in the bleachers, and then pretty soon around the fifth inning, people would start leaving. Uh, I guess it's the team was so terrible, they would come for the hot dog and then they would leave, I don't know. But we would have our binoculars and we would have our eyes on a particular row. And when those people left, we would swoop down. That's just what we did. We wanted to get closer. We didn't want to watch the whole game from Tijuana. We wanted to watch the game from the field. The third row is a lot better than way up high. The third row, you can hear the players. The third row, you could smell the pine tar. The third row, you're in the game. The, the move down made it worth it, made it worth the risk. But every now and then you run into an obstacle. You run into the usher who's a bit strict on who he lets in, and you have to have the tickets. And three college guys walking in, we don't look like we can afford these kind of tickets, and they know that what we're up to, this is the obstacle. But a couple times we found our favorite usher. He would look at us, and he would smile. He knew what we were up to. And he would step aside and say, row five, they left two innings ago. There's five seats. Go for it. He removed the obstacle for us. We thought we were going to get caught. We thought we were going to go into the stadium jail. But this usher looks at us and goes, enjoy the game. Have a good time. Those seats are just for you. And we would go and we would sit there. And I tell you what, from the fifth row, these players have faces. They have numbers. They can actually talk. They can talk back to you if you say the right words to them. It's not always nice. You can hear the conversations in the dugouts. You can actually see that the umpire is making good calls because you're not 600 feet away. He's actually a pretty decent umpire. You're not laughing at him anymore. When the obstacle is removed, you're invited in. When the usher removed the obstacle, he invited us in to see a whole new game and a whole new take on life. That morning... For those three women, the obstacle was removed. And these women just waltzed right into the tomb, expecting to find a dead body, but they found an angel instead. Expecting to find death, they found hope. And here's what the angel said. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. This is, one of the most, uh, this is another one of those places in Scripture where I wish they had a camera just so we could see what it looked like. And the questions that they asked, he's what? He's risen? Remember, the, Jesus had been telling them that he's going to do this. Jesus had been telling them now for three years, he's going to die and he's going to rise again. But they still didn't believe him. He's risen, they say. And the next words, the next words of the angel probably shook them a little bit more. But do this, go tell his disciples and Peter, that he's going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then trembling and bewildered, the women went out from there and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That morning they moved from being distant spectators to being spectators up close. And then the next movement we see is that now they're in the game. They're playing. They're players. They went, from, they went to the tomb to do dead things, to anoint a dead body, to seal the tomb off, to give in to their grief. 
yet they were greeted and they were shown a new way of life. Jesus was alive and they get a new lease on life. The obstacle for the women wasn't necessarily the stone. The obstacle for the women that day was what the stone represented. The death of a dream, the death of an idea, the death of a loved one, the death of hope, and the death of joy. All of that behind that stone. But God took care of that obstacle that day, and he raised Jesus from the dead. The stone of death was taken care of. The obstacle keeping you far away from God has been taken care of. Not only is it taken care of, you, like the, like the women that day, are invited in to get a close-up look. You're given the grace to enter the tomb. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. See where they laid him. He's not here anymore. Come, look, watch, experience this. What was dead will live again, which means, what, what, which means that we can live again too. Those things that you hoped for that have been dashed away can be restored. The grave is no longer the final chapter. Our wrong choices is what the Bible calls sin no longer have the power to keep you in the cheap seats. They no longer have the ability to keep you away. From watching at a distance to being right in the ball game, you're invited just like these women were. And all you need to do is accept that invitation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's given to you by grace. There's not, no good works, no list that you can do to make sure the obstacle's moved. It's been moved by God. The new life that Jesus brings you is right at your doorstep, and all you have to do is accept the invitation. Don't let fear hold you. Don't let uncertainty control you. Don't let your hurt define you. Instead, hear the words that the angel says to you. He's risen. There's new life. What was dead is alive again. The stone is gone, which means that you can live again too. Today, the invitation's there for you as well. Perhaps you have been watching for the last few times on cheap seats. You know about Jesus. You've heard about him. You know that there's Easter. You know that it has to do with him rising from the dead. You get the point. But you haven't really entered into the game. You sat in the cheap seats for too long. You don't, you, you, you've heard about the chain's life, but you haven't really experienced it yourself. Today, the same promise that was for the women is the same promise for you. It's a promise that your life doesn't have to stay this way. It's a promise that you too can find hope in the risen Savior of Christ. And all you have to do is accept that invitation. The usher is holding the, the rope for you, saying, fifth row's wide open, go for it. Enjoy the game. Perhaps today's the day where everything changes and you hop in and you're on the field and you begin to play. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of the team. You've invited us on the field. And Jesus, for so many of us, we've followed you from a distance for far too long. We've kept you at bay. We've put you over on the side with a, in a little box and, and this is just what Jesus does and that's it. We're at a distance. But you've given us an invitation with the stone that's been rolled away. 
and you say, come on in. See how I can make old things new. See how I've wiped away death. See how I've taken away grief and how I've dealt with your regret. Behold, you are making everything new and it begins with our lives. Perhaps you've been walking at a distance. Today's the day where you can say, I want to take one step closer. I want to know what that new life is like. And if that's you and you'd like to do that, just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that I can experience new life. Thank you for rising from the dead so I can be forgiven from my sins. Thank you for the invitation to live again, to hope again. Come into my heart so I can be made new. And whether that's your first time ever praying that prayer or hearing that prayer or your 40th, the invitation's still there. We can all follow a little closer today because of the cross. Jesus, we thank you for this cross. We thank you for the empty tomb because in it we find freedom. In it, we find the love that we've been looking for, the love that we've been clamoring for. In it, we find hope. Because it's empty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.